Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. February 4th, Brother Blake will be here. I spoke to him yesterday. He and his family um, are excited to be here. They're going to be in a wedding in Mobile. Uh, There's a young man that eventually we'd like to have come this way. Um, His name is Miles Mayer. Uh, He's getting married on Saturday. Uh, He is part of the Siemens ministry in Mobile. So he goes on the ships that come into the dock and, uh, and preaches the gospel to him. And he, he does that as his full-time ministry. So, so eventually we'd like to have him here and learn more about his ministry and all that's going on with him. Uh, so pray for Brother Blake and Miss Haley and Sabina. Miss Sabina, their daughter. How old is she now? She's almost one. Almost one. She's got a beautiful little girl. They have a beautiful little girl. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy them. I'm excited to have them. Uh, they've been good friends to us and, and a tremendous blessing. So please pray about that. May 5th, Jacob Rutledge will be here. Um, and so we'll, we'll form more about that or talk more about that when it gets closer. But if you would pray for him. I haven't, heard, I haven't talked to him in a little while, but he, he may potentially have some big decisions upcoming. So please continue to pray for him. Uh, Brother Philip is home and doing well. Um, he said today is the best day because he's home alone. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. If he didn't have you, what would he do? <laughs> Same thing I would do if I didn't have my wife. Sit at home and cry. Uh, so uh, continue to pray for him. He's healing, doing, doing better. Um, so need your continued prayers. Tuesday, are we meeting with the midwife Tuesday? My wife and I are meeting with the midwife this Tuesday, so if you would pray about that. We have to go to, like, classes and stuff. And the last time, it didn't go well. So there was a girl, there was a a husband and wife in the class. We had to go through these, these classes together. And there was a husband and wife, and one of the girls there was, um, she was not, Man friendly, let's put it that way. <laughs> and so um, she said the, 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 the midwife at, went around the room asking what they hoped to get out of these classes. And she said, um, I just hope to figure out how to have the baby pain free. And I, me being the charming personality that I am, 
I said, well, it doesn't hurt me at all. <laughs> if looks could kill, I'd been a dead man. <laughs> uh, so she didn't think it was funny. I did, but... So we get to do that again, but I, I assume, I hope, it's not with a bunch of other people. I don't know. We'll find out, I guess, Tuesday. But my wife likes the lady, so I'm going to be nice and try to, you know, follow along and all that good stuff. The Luganda Bible Project. Brother Gross sent me a long list of verses that he needed, uh, he had questions about, needed answers to. And so I uh, was able to get to those this week and answer all those questions. And with my answering those questions, he finished up what he needed to finish up. And with that, Brother Gross has completely translated the entire Old Testament, which is incredible. So uh, he said it took him 18 months. It, it didn't really take him 18 months. The, we had a problem in the fir- for about the first year. We had a guy on the project that had all the potential in the world to be a big help, but had no work ethic. <laughs> and he really delayed things. And, and, and plus, the first several months, they're, they're trying to, you know, Ugandans are not studious. They don't read. They don't study. So to sit down at a computer for eight hours a day and, and work on translation work, I mean, that is not a normal task for a Ugandan and so they were really getting in the swing of things. But Brother Gross, when he sets his mind to something, he just does it. And um, so he, is, he has completely translated the entire Old Testament, which is incredible. So next week, he starts on the New Testament. That's, that's pretty amazing. So that's exciting. Now the plumbing. Miss Phyllis was swimming in our fellowship hall yesterday. Uh, she couldn't find anywhere else to go play in the water, so she... <laughs> Was it? What's today? Where are we? Yeah, Friday. So where'd you swim yesterday? <laughs> yeah. So Miss Phyllis came to the church and found that the pipes had busted in the fellowship hall. And uh, now the good thing is that building is so bad that it didn't hold water. <laughs> no, it, just, it just soaked right through the floor and, and was gone. So that, that's the good thing. Um, the, the bad thing is we couldn't get a plumber out to fix it, so I was the plumber for the day. Um, so I, I went out and disconnected all the pipes to the bathrooms and put a stop valve on it. So for now, we're just going to discontinue use of that bathroom the kitchen is still connected, um, but the pipes to the kitchen are underground. The pipe that busted was laying on the ground. It was not buried. And so it, 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 it looks like it comes from the hot water heater to the back bathroom, to the sink. And um, it was just laying on top of the ground, and it busted and was spraying water all over the place. So, um, so I put a stop valve on all of those and shut all of them off. Um, but the valve that I use, we can reconnect them later if we so choose to do. Uh, I asked the plumber about replumbing the bathroom, and he said it'd be $500 to $1,000. And I said, well, the building's not worth $500 to $1,000, so we're not doing that. Um, so we'll keep the kitchen running as long as we can, 
until we can get rid of this building. Um, and so what we may start doing when it's warmer, we'll open this bathroom and this side building so we just have the extra bathroom. And then we'll have these bathrooms here. That way, you know, there's a little extra space to use the restroom after lunch and all that good stuff when everybody's trying to go to the bathroom. So, so that's what happened past few days. I, I had just gotten into town. I was going to meet my wife for dinner. And Miss Phyllis... Miss Phyllis sends out an, an SOS <laughs> that the fellowship hall was soaking in water and they couldn't get the water turned off and all that. So now we don't know. Yeah. No, the, the valve to the fellowship hall, which I, I kept asking Miss Phyllis, are you sure there's not another valve? There has to be another valve. And she's like, there's no other valve. Well, it was buried. Yeah, the, it, it was buried under the dirt, and so the plumber who had done some work out here before came out that, that evening and um, uncovered it, so now we know where it is. We know where the valve to the fellowship hall is. So when it's freezing, we will shut that water off to the fellowship hall and, um, and shut the water off to this building, but when it's not freezing, we'll open them up and use them regularly and make this bathroom available to people and this bathroom available to people as needed. Sound good? Good. Cold weather. You know, we, we came from Africa. So we lived in Florida. I lived in Florida for about 10 years before we went to Africa. My wife grew up in Florida, though she'd lived in North Carolina when she went to college for a short while. And then we went to Africa. So all this 15, 17 degree weather well, that's not good either. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll take that over the teens. You know, I will say when it's like 50 here, it feels kind of nice out. It's not, not bad. But, man, when it gets down below 50, then it, it just hurts. <laughs> you know, who would want to live in Vermont? Why would you do that? You, especially if you, cho- if you grew up there, I could get that. But if you chose to move there, I question your sanity. <laughs> I believe you. I've been outside in a T-shirt in in Massachusetts, in you know, with four or five feet of snow on the ground, it felt fine. Um, but I, I'm not saying that I want to go out every day and shovel my way to my car every day <laughs> and live there. All right, brother Nathan, you come. Let's do something spiritual. <laughs> Great songs, good singing, even better Savior. All exciting stuff. Glad you're here. Could have been somewhere else and you chose to be here. I appreciate that. All right, Romans chapter 1, if you didn't know. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're moving really fast through this uh, chapter. <laughs> this section won't, won't last as long as the first section. The introduction is uh, quite important. So we went through it. This next section sort of doubles down on the introduction. Uh, But then we really really get into some deep, deep issues when we get down to verse 16 and and beyond. And so um, we might be in those sections a little bit longer. We'll see. I'm I'm not not sure exactly how I will approach those. Uh, But there, there are 
this first chapter is just loaded with unbelievably important information. And um, right now we're in verses 8 through 15. So let's read those together. And then we'll dive into our topic for today. Verse 8. And we'll go down to verse 15. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established." That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the joy or by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, And then, of course, when he finishes that statement, he starts the next section about his, um, uh, that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And, and that begins a whole series of discussions about what that gospel reveals, to whom it reveals it, um, all, all the information uh, related to that. So let's pray and then we'll dive into this. Uh, Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us and being so good to us. And uh, Lord, you, you are fully aware of the desperate needs of the people in our church. We pray uh, for Miss Kathleen and Brother Hoyt that you would help them. And uh, we pray for Miss Pat and Philip and, and the situation there that you would be um, intently involved in, in that, that you'd provide comfort and healing and, and uh, give uh, all the doctors involved good wisdom and all that's going on. And sure pray you'd bless this church. Thank you for being so good to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right now. But what we're going to talk about t today um, is going to be more focused on this comfort that, and, and the unity, the comfort and unity that comes from this common faith that Paul and, and the church at Rome have. Uh, now, in a, in a nice way, he, he is mentioning how that their faith is spoken of, and that's wonderful, but he's, in, in a nice way, is telling them, but you lack something. You need a little more information. And, and I want us to be comforted together. I want to come and impart that information to you so that we can, we can be comforted even more together in our faith, but based on knowledge, based on our belief in the same ideas from the same word of God, moving in the same direction. And, and that, that's, that's the problem with all the denominations we have today. Uh, many of them are saved. Many of them preach the gospel. Praise the Lord. But... We struggle to be comforted together because our foundational beliefs are so wildly different that it's hard to walk hand in hand and to have this level of comfort. Um, now, the Bible, as we're going to see before this is over with, um, the, the points of unity in the Bible, there are far less of them than we make. <laughs> we, we have more requirements for unity amongst churches than God does in the Word of God, and um, some of that is, is to protect people and to make sure that we keep the church pure and, and moving in a good direction. And uh, some of it is just not right. 
God didn't say these things were required for unity and fellowship and all these things, and, and yet we require it. <laughs> uh, and, and so we want to be careful about that. We, we will ne never move in a direction of no standards. We have expectations of God's people, and we're going to maintain those expectations. Uh, but we should also still be able to be gracious with other people and other churches. And if they don't do things the way we do, well, the Bible literally says there are differences of administration. If they choose to do things that way, that's between them and, and the Lord. That's that church. I'm not going to tear that church down or cause problems for that church because I disagree with their difference of administration. I may not like it, so since I don't like it, guess what I don't do? I don't go there. <laughs> I come here, and I just have an added benefit here. I'm the pastor, so I get to direct the difference of administration. But when you go somewhere, and, and when I was a missionary, we'd go to a church, and we'd get there, and we'd realize this place really isn't quite the type of place we would attend. Well, while I'm there, I don't get to cause problems for them. I don't go in there and say, you know, Pastor, I need to talk to you. You're doing things wrong. That is not my place. And if you're going to attend a church, it's, it's incumbent upon you to find out what the church believes, what their standards are, the direction they're going, and make sure you're okay with that. If you're not okay with that, the next step is not tear down the church. It's, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to find somewhere else to go. <laughs> and the reality is you're never going to find the church that is perfect, that is exactly the way you want it to be. It's just not going to happen. And so Paul, in a very kind way, is telling these people, I'm so excited about this common faith that we have, but I need to impart some things to you. You're, you're, you're lacking some things, and I want you to be established. I want you to be strengthened, and I want us to be even, even more in unity together. So I'm writing this letter. I hope to come to you. I have tried to come to you. It's just I haven't been able to get there, but, but I'm going to keep working on it. Until then, here's a letter. This letter is the definition of biblical Christianity. Do this. Abide by this. And, and so it ends up becoming a great help to them. And laborers in Christ receive great joy when they see others coming along in the faith. People who love Jesus Christ, when they see somebody else developing that love for Jesus Christ and their lives moving more and more in a direction of obedience to Jesus Christ, it's a wonderful thing to see. It's a great joy. It's, it, it, it's warming, it's comforting, it's consoling. There's so many great aspects to it when you see people doing that. Uh, when you see the opposite, it's grievous. It's heartbreaking. And, and you wish you could help them know what they don't know. <laughs> You're, mo you're going in the wrong direction. Well, who do you think you are? Nobody. I'm nobody. I'm absolutely nobody. Uh, but I have a Bible that, that can tell you something. And if you will let me help you, you don't have to go in that direction so that 10 years down the road you find out what you didn't know. You don't want to find out what you didn't know 10 years from now if somebody can tell you now and help you. And the problem is everybody... You know, you have YouTube, and YouTube said, I can do this, and Facebook said, I can do that, and Twitter said, I can do the other thing, and so I don't need you. I have the, the wisdom of the world at my fingertips. There, there's, we've been joking about this guy at work. A, a man at work is trying to sell a boat, and this man keeps calling him, who sounds like a pothead, and he, wants, he saw on YouTube that he could buy the boat, 
take it out into the ocean and sail it, live on it, and sail it to Papua New Guinea. Well, the man that owns the boat has tried very graciously to explain to the man, this is not that kind of boat. <laughs> you don't sail this boat to Papua New Guinea. And the guy is dead set. I, can, I saw it on YouTube. and Okay, somebody's trying to help you not die right now. And you're just determined to get in that boat and go. And that is exactly how people treat life. They don't go to somebody who, who is successful in their finances, successful in their marriage, successful at work, successful at church, and say, show me how to do that. Instead, they go to YouTube, they go to Hollywood, they go to music, they go, they, they, they go to the world or, or people. Like, you go to a poor man's house and that man tells you how to be rich. Does that make any sense at all? How is that going to help you? All right, so, it, but if you go to a man who's made money and say, show me how to do this, he might have some idea. <laughs> He's done it. And, and so it's the exact same way with life, with every aspect of life. I, my, I'm, I'm married. Could you please help me be a good husband? I'm a father. Could you, I've noticed that your children are good. They, they, you're raising them well. Your life seems to be together. Can you show me how to do that? Now, I, my mom was 16 years old and homeless when she had me. I have never had a father. When she finally got married, I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, something like that. And she married my stepfather, who initially, when, we, when they got married, was an alcoholic. Now, but here's the thing with this guy. He was a functioning alcoholic, a very functional alcoholic. He's the kind of guy he could drink. You'd never know he was drinking. But you can only do that for so long. And it began to break him down. Then it began to become very obvious he was drinking. And, and then it went all the way to the point that he, it nearly killed him. Uh, he was in the hospital. He was about to die. The doctor comes in and says, Mr. Meeks, do you know why you're here? And he said, yeah, I think I got the flu. Now, praise the Lord, the doctor said, no, sir. You're here because you're an alcoholic. You drink yourself here. And if you don't admit to that right now, I'm not going to help you any further. Now, that's a good doctor. <laughs> now, when the pastor does that, you, you scream in his face, quit the church, go on Facebook and tear the church apart. <laughs> when the doctor does it, you're like, oh, he's trying to help me. <laughs> you see how that works? <laughs> and so fortunately, my stepfather listened to the man. Now, this is the kind of man my stepfather is. Uh, he listened to the man and my mom was sitting there. She was crying and said, look, you, you've got to stop this. He said, OK, I won't drink again. And that was it. From that day forward, he hadn't touched another drop of alcohol. <laughs> he, he's, he's, from a, he's cut from a different cloth. He's an old school generation type guy. And once he made his mind up, he's just one of those guys. When he sets his mind to something, he does it. So he decided in the hospital bed that day, I won't drink again. And hadn't, as far as we know, hadn't, hadn't touched a single drop of alcohol and not even tempted by it since. Uh, but, it, but it was going to kill him. And he wasn't willing in that moment to take the advice of somebody else until they confronted him with it and, and it got to the point to where he had nowhere mentally, emotionally, he had nowhere to go. You're gonna make a decision right now. You're gonna continue this or you're gonna you're gonna break out of this. Praise the Lord, he chose to leave. He chose to break out of it, and he's he's been doing fine ever since. And and um, and that's what we want to see people do with their lives. Don't make destructive financial decisions, marriage decisions, family decisions, work decisions. Go to somebody who can help you and say, what do I do? How do I handle this? 
That doesn't mean you've got to take what they say as law, but you should definitely consider it and, and put it to work. And so Paul is, in a very kind way, telling the church at Rome, you're doing great. You are. But you're lacking something. And I want to impart to you what you're lacking so that we can better fellowship together. We can, we can be comforted even more and have this joy even more uh, all, all together. And so when, when, when people listen and you begin to see their growth and maturity, it, it's, it's, it provides a special kind of comfort. Uh, we, my wife and I have had the opportunity to help people from Florida to around the country, all the way over to Africa and back. And, but those are people who wanted to be helped. And that's exciting when you meet somebody who wants to be helped. And then we've had, tried to help people who didn't want to be helped. And it's heartbreaking. When, when, when people come to you and their marriage is on the brink of destruction and you sit down with them and you talk to them and you say, look, it looks like, as far as we can tell, that if you'll do A, B, and C and you'll do A, B, and C, the two of you can fix this. And they, they, they're already so bitter and so angry, they will not. And they'll tell you, I'm not doing it. Well, why not? Well, she. Well, no, but we're not talking about she. We're talking about you. This is what you need to do. Yeah, well, if she'll do this and this, then I'll do it. That, that's not how it works. Do you want your marriage to be restored, yes or no? And, and, and the answer to that question is iffy. They might say yes because they know that's what they're supposed to say, but they don't really mean that. They're, they're so gone at this point, they just want it over with, they want it out of each other's lives. That's not a biblical option. When you said, I do, you said, almost every marriage literally says, till death do us part. <laughs> well, did you mean that? Well, I didn't know. No, 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 no. No, that, that's... You said, till death do us part. Well, I didn't know she was going <laughs> to. Then you shouldn't have said that because God took it serious. And now God expects you to honor it and to see it through. But in order for that to happen, first of all, the man has to be the man in the relationship. The woman has to be the woman in the relationship. And I know that sounds like a simple thing, but it's not. Because today, men are weak and effeminate and women are loud and domineering. They want to be the man in the relationship, and, and, the, and the man just wants to go play video games and do nothing. Uh, somebody asked me the other day what video games I play, and my answer was, I'm an adult. And they're like, well, well I'm an adult also. <laughs> Act like it. <laughs> I don't play video games. I, I have a wife and children and a job and a church and all sorts of other things going on. Video games? What is wrong with you? Grow up. And, and they don't want to do that. And so when you see someone who doesn't want to go in the right direction, it's frustrating. It's heartbreaking. It's like if you, if you would just, I, there are some things I need to impart to you. I could help you. And it's not even about me. It's not me. I can open the word of God and I can show you how husbands should handle this situation. How a father should handle this situation. And if you'll let me help you, then the joy it could bring and the unity it could bring in your home. Well, I'm not doing that. Okay. Well, clearly your way has been working great. And if you're going to double down on it, it's going to work even greater to destroy your life. It's not, it's not going, nothing's going to change. But in the moment, 
when that bitterness sets in and, and that anger has, has been around for so long and you're so frustrated with each other, it's, it's easy to cling to, to what you've been doing that's been destructive and not repent and turn. It requires humility to say, okay, this person I'm angry and bitter at, I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself and do what it takes to try and please them. Well, what happens is they try it one time. That person doesn't respond as, see, I tried. No. After 10 years of bitterness, one day you did something nice and she didn't respond and you're just going to quit? No, you've got years of anger and bitterness and, and bad treatment towards each other to overcome. This is not, not going to be an overnight situation. You can't just show up, do something nice, and expect everybody. That, that's, that's the happy meal mentality. Well, I bought a Happy Meal. How come I'm not happy? And it just, it's not going to work that way. So when people want to do right and they're moving along together in unity, in the unity of the Word of God, man, it, it, it's so good. The, the joy, the peace, the happiness. And, and, and then the people outside of your relationship who see it and they say, man, look what they have. I, I want to do that. I want to have that type of marriage, that type of life, that type of relationship. That's what I want. How do they do that? Well, go ask them. <laughs> Don't go to YouTube. That's the first thing everybody does. How to have a happy marriage. Yeah, on YouTube, Facebook, really? That's, that's not where you're going to find the answer. You want to go find a, a, I know this is difficult in 2024, but you find a real human being. And you set the phone down. And you talk to that person face to face. And guess what they'll do? They'll talk back. <laughs> now, it's hard to do because you want to hit, where's the like button on this person? Like, where, where's the, the subscribe and the ad and, and all the buttons that you're so used to interacting with? And they don't flash bright lights at you while they're talking to you. You just got to sit down and have a conversation with them. And, and they might help you. It would be really good for you. And... And so when we find people and meet people who are willing to do that, it's, it's a great joy. It creates a unique bond in Jesus amongst wide ranges of people with varied ages, financial situations, cultures, and backgrounds. Only Jesus Christ and the unity that we find in the Word of God can take so many people who are so wildly different and unite them together. And we don't care about each other's finances. We're not impressed with each other's skin color or cultural background, none of that matters. All that matters is we're all here together because of Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's unity. That's wonderful. The reason we come together and care for this old property and its broken pipes is because this is where we meet together to, to, to worship Jesus Christ. That is the only value of this property to any of us. Right? Now, could this property have other value? Sure. But what single person is going to profit from that value? This place is ours because we love the Lord, and this is where we meet to worship him. There's no other reason that we would come here multiple times a week and sit here together and, and listen to some crazy man rant about Facebook. And so this is where we meet to worship the Lord. We're here because of our interest in Jesus Christ, we set aside our differences because we are here for the Lord. This level of unity in Jesus pleases God and comforts the hearts 
of men and women who love the Lord. If you don't care about Jesus, you don't care about somebody moving along in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, it's funny to hear people who are not um, familiar with the Christian life and being in a church, to hear them try and talk to you about those things. You know, people would meet us when we were missionaries and they were like, oh, so you're, you know, you're going to Africa? And like, yeah. Like, well, what are you going to do when you get there? Are you going to, you know, install toilets? <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't care if an African gets a toilet or solar panels or any of that. Uh, I mean, if I can help them, great. You know, that's no problem. But that's not what we're going for. And, and so we would explain to them our purpose in going and planting churches and teaching the Bible. And they're like, oh, that's all? <laughs> like, what? Yeah, that's all. That's, that's all we got. Sorry. And so then when, when, it, when we leave, they would say, well, well good luck on your mission. <laughs> like, what? On my mission? What? <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I guess we're going to the moon or something. So, um, no, and, and I appreciate their attempt to try, but... But there's no unity there. The conversation is fumbling and awkward because when I tell them I'm going to Africa as a Christian, they think solar panels, wells, toilets. You know, they think I'm going to build houses and do things. They think a humanitarian type work. And that, that's a small part of mission life. You do that kind of stuff from time to time. But that's not the goal. That is not the purpose. I am going there to help win souls to Jesus Christ and then teach them the word of God so that they can go and win their own people. That's the goal. And so when I say that to a person that, that lacks that level of unity together, they're like, oh, okay. Well, have fun. <laughs> you know, this. Or the, the other thing they would say is, oh, I have a friend in Africa. Maybe you know him. In Africa? You know, four of the United States could fit on the continent of Africa? Like, what, what do you think? <laughs> you think we, like, all know each other on the whole continent? It's massive. And so, anyways, so unity and comfort. Look at Psalm 1, 133. Look, look at this. This is a familiar passage, but um, it, it's, it's, it, it sums it up. It explains it. Psalm 133, we'll read verses 1 through 3. The whole chapter. We'll read the whole chapter. You can go home today and say, I've read a whole chapter of the Bible in church. Verse 1, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Man, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if everybody had that attitude? That would shut down social media. I just stay out of everybody else's business and I don't get involved in things that are too high for me. Well... There'd be no need for Facebook or Twitter or 133. Oh, that's 131. But let's try 133, verse 1. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to preach on it anyways. <laughs> it, well, it, it, it didn't fit with what I was talking about, and I was hoping verse 2 would bring us back around because in my mind I was like, that doesn't quite fit. Anyways, that's what happens when your brain has lapses. Verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, who doesn't know, know that that's a pleasant thing? Who doesn't want that? But in order to have that, it's going to require me and it's going to require you to get over some things. 
and to give up some things. Well, I think we should do it this way. Great. Now, now that we know how you want things done, let me call a meeting of the church and get everybody in line with what you want. Who thinks that's going to happen here? <laughs> that's not going to happen one time. Right, in fact, when you say, I think we should do it this way, something in me says, yeah, we're never going to do it that way. <laughs> I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to set a policy to do it exactly the opposite. <laughs> when it comes to that type of stuff and it comes to guilt trips, you'll learn real fast, guilt trips do not work with me. People come and they try and, you know, I, I know someone one time that needed some tires for their vehicle and they, they were coming to me and they're like, man, I, I sure wish somebody would help me get these tires for my vehicle. I said, me too. <laughs> I hope you find them. It's just, it's not going to work. If you need something, ask me. If there's something on your heart, something on your mind, tell me and we can talk about it. We can work it out. But when you come in demanding things or, or in a sly way trying to put a guilt trip on somebody, you can almost guarantee we're going to do the exact opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. Because it's not going to work that way here. I don't get my way every time here. I don't get to just come in and say, we're doing this. No, I, I, I want to watch things and say, see what the need of the church is as a whole and try and direct things in that direction. Not what does Thomas want and we're doing it that way. That's not how it works. As I might like it and then if everybody else here hates it and leaves, guess where that leaves me? <laughs> Standing in a pulpit in front of a room full of empty people, an empty room full of, with no people. And, and that doesn't help anybody. And so we're going to try and do things in the best interest of the church, not of any individual. But people come into church and think that this place is about me. People call and they say, in, in fact, I've told you about it. I was in town one day talking to a lady, telling her about the church. She said, well, what does your church offer for my teenagers? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. When your question is, what does your church have to offer me? The answer is, you're not the kind of person we want in our church. You should probably go somewhere else. This is a place for you to serve. This is a place for you to participate. This is not, we're not the nightly, your, your nightly entertainment or your daily entertainment or your weekly entertainment. And we're supposed to offer programs for you and your family. You go figure out the programs for you and your family. Here, we're going to offer you the word of God. We're going to be united in the truth. If you want to know what I can do for your teenagers, I can teach them the word of God and help them not to be a bum. If that's sufficient for you. If it's not sufficient for you, then this is not the place. I, 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 there's not, not much else I can do for you. Verse 2. Verse 2. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew of, that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Now, he, he's describing a, a warm, comforting, beautiful scene. And he says that when brethren dwell together in unity, this is what it's like. And it is. And, and again, I, I, you know, uh, Brother Blake called me yesterday. They'll be here next week. And uh, he asked me how things are going. And I can't brag enough about how wonderful it's been here. Now, I have some close friends who, who pastor other churches. And they took over the church. The church 
in, in those cases, invited those men in the same way you did here, and then did everything they could to destroy those men, ruin their lives, tear the church apart. It's like, why did you call them in? What was the point? And, and they're, they're frustrated because their church is not growing. It's dying. And now I know why. <laughs> Look at you acting like a bunch of bad little kids trying to tear a church apart because you don't get your individual way. It's not going to happen. One, one of the brothers, they, they had to leave their building and take the church with them and go somewhere completely different because two people in the building refuse refused to, to submit to their pastor and follow his leadership. So they literally had to, to leave the building and start the church over in another building in the same town and, and completely restart. Nothing he can do about it. Uh, another brother, and uh, you know, hit, hit the, the pastor of this church invited him in, encouraged the church to vote to bring him in as the pastor, and then the pastor and his wife spent two or three years just tearing his ministry apart. So they finally, he was strong enough that he wouldn't give in, and they finally got mad and left and went somewhere else and took several people with him. And, and so now the church, it, the church went from 30, 40 people to overnight like 10, <laughs> and, and he had to start over and, and rebuild the church, which he was fine with. If you don't want to be there, you invited that man to come in and be the pastor, and then you want to turn around and, and fight together and bite and devour and tear the church apart that makes no sense but how sweet it would be if they were united behind their pastor and how wonderful it would be if none of that happened and they just said you know he does things different from the way I thought it would be done but he's not doing anything wrong he's not you know committing adultery on his wife or you know it's just he just does things different than I thought he would do things but I'm going to get behind him and I'm going to support him and, and we're going to have a good church. Well, I can't handle that. That requires them being humble and saying, well, the way I did it all these years, it can be done differently. And they don't want to admit it can be done differently. They, they demand to know they need you to do it the way they did it so that the way they did it is justified. <laughs> and if you don't help justify the way I think it should be done, well, then I'm going to, I'm going to tear this church apart and cause you nothing but trouble. And it ruins the church. And it ruins the name of Jesus Christ. And it inevitably, it doesn't stay in the church. It spills onto Facebook and social media and becomes a public event of Christians biting and devouring each other publicly. And I've just not had any of those troubles here. Everyone's been supportive and helpful. And, and it's been a blessing. It's been great, and I am thankful for that, because uh, you don't know. You pack up and you move all the way from Africa, only to have people in the church who say, yeah, we're not doing things that way. We're going to tear the church apart. And, and I, I told Brother Hoyt when he called me and said, we'd like you to take the church. I said, are you sure? <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, I'm just telling you, it will take dynamite to get me out. Are you sure? And he said, it's all yours. Okay. So from that day, we moved on to, to, to start working towards getting here, and, and here we are. So um, come back to Romans 1, and, and we're going to look a little bit at what Paul is telling these people. And, and, he, and he wants this unity amongst them. But, but you'll notice, he says, I need to establish you in some things, which means that unity 
You can't just speak it into existence. There has to be a, a foundation. There has to be a basis upon which that unity rests. And that's, that's our, our common uh, obedience to the word of God. That's our common faith in this book and what it says. And our unwavering you know, desire to abide by this book and not, and not say, well, you know, the world is going in this direction. Maybe we can just change a few things. No. No, we're, we're, we're going to be stuck here with that old-time religion based on the word of God, and, and we're not changing it. I don't care what direction the world goes in. And, and so Paul is trying to very gently uh, tell these people that. But again, we, we talked about it a few, a few lessons back. He loves these people. And it's his love for these people that allows, that, that opens this opportunity for him, him to be able to say, you're lacking some things that I want to give you. If he doesn't love them and, and, and is not able to convey that love or demonstrate that love that he has for them, they're going to say, who are you? We don't know who you are. We don't care what you have to say. And, and so he's taken the care and the time to give this introduction about Jesus Christ, God's son, their unity in the gospel and the faith. And then, by the way, I serve that God and I love you and I am thankful for you and I can't wait to come there and see you. And so he's, he's going through this process. But look, look at verses 8 through 15 again. Let's read it again real fast. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making requests if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So, so here, here, here are the ideas he conveys to them. First, without ceasing... I always pray for you. That, that is a blessing. We talked about that in Sunday school, how that, that the faith of someone else can benefit people in need. If, if you will go to God in prayer on behalf of someone else, they can get the help they need because you had enough faith and concern and care to pray for them. A prayer is very powerful. If used, it just doesn't get used. <laughs> We, we, we rarely take things to God, but he wants these people to know, I don't just, I haven't just said a prayer for you. I pray for you always without ceasing. You are continually on my heart. And because you're on my heart, I lift you up to God, which is a tremendous blessing. And he says, I long to see you. It's not just, well, I hope I can get by there. I, I want so badly to see you. And, and again, it's, he doesn't want to see Rome. Even in that, in that day, Rome would have been a place to see. That's like saying, I want to go see New York City, or I want to go see London, or I want to go see, you know, Dubai. I want to go see one of these big cities. It wasn't the city. It was the church. It was the people there. 
I long to see you. I have this deep desire to be with you, to talk to you, to teach you, to help you and, and, and spend time with you. And then I desire for you to be established. That's his, that's his, he doesn't long to see them. So, man, I can form a, you know, there's a lot of money in Rome. I could form a church. I could, you know, they can give some good offerings. I can make some money. This, this could go really well for me. That's, that's not his goal. His goal is, I want you to be established in the faith. I, I, I get no other benefit out of coming there other than to be comforted by the common faith that we have together. And I get to build you up in the word of God. And, and those, are, those are deep abiding desires for men who serve God and, and for women who serve God. I want to see people strengthened by the word of God. It's so hard to convey to people the answer to their problems is God's word. They'll go buy self-help book after self-help book after self-help book and watch video after video after video and, and scroll through Facebook looking for a solution to their problem. And then when you come and say, well, you read all those books and didn't find the answer. Would, would, you, would you try reading the Word of God? Oh, that old book doesn't have anything in it. It's like, what? Okay. God's Word has the answer. It has the solution. Now, here's the problem. It's probably not the solution you want. <laughs> and that makes a tremendous difference in people's lives. Because what they're looking for is someone to confirm their, their predilections. I, I have an idea. Now I need you and you and you and you to confirm this is a good idea. And then when someone comes along who's honest with them and says, that's really not a good idea. I wouldn't do it that way. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, okay. Why'd you ask? Well, I didn't really ask. I was just giving you an opportunity to confirm what I already decided. <laughs> and you didn't do it. So you must not know what you're talking about. And, and, and so the word of God may not give you the answer you want. That's the difficulty. But it's the right answer and it is the solution that would resolve whatever's going on in your life. And, and if, you would, if you would, by faith, apply it to your life, then you're going to see the difference. You're going to see the outcome down the road as, as you progress. And, and the problem is people don't want to do that. And then he says, I want to be comforted together with you. And that's this unity in the faith. I, I am comforted by people who love Jesus Christ and want to do what he says. Uh, when we meet other brothers in Christ, when you're out and about moving around and you happen to meet somebody and, and you find out they're a Christian, like we said the other day, well, what does that mean? <laughs> that can mean a lot of things. Uh, what, what the world and what people call Christianity has nothing to do with Christianity. Uh, you know, sometimes Roman Catholics call themselves Christians. In what way? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses call themselves Christians. Mormons call themselves Christians. Well, how? That's, that's, there, there's no relationship there. You just stole the term, and you know if you use it, people will believe you. All right? And so, so when someone says they're a Christian, it's like, uh, okay. My, my mind, as I said before, starts out here. Because we, we need to narrow down what you mean by Christian. And then as we get to talking and I find out they, they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe they use the King James Bible. Maybe they believe men are men and women are women. I mean, that's a big one. That'd be great if everybody believed that. And so as you get to know them more, you start finding out. It, it looks like we're moving in the same direction. This is a blessing. <laughs> it's, it's, rare, it's rare to meet you. <laughs> 
Not many of them exist. And so as you begin to find out what they believe, even if you don't believe everything exactly the same, as long as there's some commonalities there, it it turns into a joy. It turns into a blessing to meet somebody that loves Jesus Christ. And, And so he wants to be comforted together with them. Then he says, oftentimes, oftentimes, like repeatedly, repeatedly, I purpose to come unto you. I want to be there. I have tried repeatedly to be there, and I've just, I've not been able to get there. I want to be with you there in Rome. And he says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you. And, and, and he says at Rome, he, he tells the church, I want to be with you, I want to be comforted with you, but when I get to Rome, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel to everybody. I don't, everybody needs the gospel. I'm going to go preach the gospel to everybody as soon as I get there. And that unity is laid out in Ephesians 4 a little more clearly. Look at Ephesians 4. And this is where, you know, when, when you look in the Bible for the places of division in the church, there are not many. There are only a few. Uh, you know, a heretic, you give him two or three rebukes. If he doesn't listen, then he's got to go. A man that refuses to work, God says that you need to separate yourself from those people. Someone in the midst of adultery and fornication, they've got to go. I mean, there, there are only a few things, and it's not the things, you know, men, men divide themselves over, you know, the closed communion, whatever that is. It doesn't exist in the Word of God, but men who believe that you should have closed communion won't fellowship with people who believe that you should have biblical communion. <laughs> well, you show me in the Word of God where you're supposed to divide over that. Uh, if you, d- different little doctrinal, you know, variances, people get mad at each other and they split over them. Now, if if you don't agree with me on communion, I still love you. <laughs> I can still be your friend. I can still fellowship with you. You just don't invite me to the Lord's Supper. How about that? (laughs) But why do we have to divide over it and fight over it and not be able to fellowship together because of it? It, There's no biblical, there's there's no biblical precedent to divide over something like that. It doesn't exist. So it's a personal choice you made to divide the body of Christ in an ungodly manner. And and I don't want to stand before Jesus Christ having having picked places that I think I should be divisive over. Now, if you come to me and you say Jesus was not born of a virgin, we got a problem. Right. Right. You tell me that Christ, you know, didn't rise from the dead, we've got a problem. Right. There are some clear, unbelievably clear doctrinal positions in the Bible that we just, we, we can't compromise on. We, we, I don't even know if we can be friends. <laughs> I mean, I'll be nice to you. I hope it goes well. I, I, I don't... I don't want you to be my enemy, but you can't, we can't have you here saying those things, teaching those things. Then there are other variances in teachings that you just need to get over because different men see it different ways and, 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 and the possibility of the, that range of teaching is there. And so you just need to, God has, God has used some of the, some great men that I disagree with. So what, am I going to go and set myself against a man that God is using in a great way because I disagree with him on something? No. No. It, it, your songbook is probably full of hymns by John and Charles Wesley. Doctrinally, they'd never be able to preach from this pulpit. 
And yet, when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, I don't want to stand next to John and Charles Wesley because they're going to be light years ahead of me. They were unbelievable men, unbelievable Christians, but didn't believe exactly like we believe. They believe you could lose your salvation. I'm not going to let them stand here and teach that, but I'm going to sing their hymns, which, by the way, their hymns don't teach that you can lose your salvation. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> uh, so you just, there are some things you, you, need, you need to be able to get over and move past. And now, look, here are the points of unity in the Bible. Look at this. Uh, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Let me go to chapter 4. Verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness, that's the problem, and meekness, that's the second problem, and with long suffering. there's the third problem, forbearing one another in love. All right, so why do we have all these divisions in the body of Christ? That's why. You have no long-suffering. You have no humility. You have no meekness. All you have is an idea in your head, and you better do things in accord with my idea or we can't fellowship. And that's, that's not how God did things in the Bible. That's not how God laid it out in the Bible. He said, once you have some grace with people, once you be long-suffering, if you think they're wrong, be long-suffering, and you can help them come along in the long term. But that, that's not what men want to do. Like, you, you don't do or believe what I believe, so I, I have to cut you out. In fact, I'm throwing you out of the body of Christ. <laughs> that's not an option. It doesn't work. Verse, verse 3, endeavoring. Wouldn't that be good? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we do the exact opposite. We think and the only way to have unity and peace is for me to get rid of people I disagree with. That's not what God said. Now, here, here's the basis of unity. Verse 3, there is one body. What is that body? It's the body of Christ. There's only one. There is, uh, there is one body and one spirit. That'd be the Holy Spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord. Well, that one Lord is Jesus Christ. There's nobody else. One faith. We've been talking about that faith extensively from the book of Romans. That, that's, that, that's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One baptism. That's not water baptism. If you got water baptized you're, you're in, and you didn't get spirit baptized, you're in trouble. You're on your way to hell, possibly with water dripping off of you. <laughs> That's not going to help you. Right? But if you got spirit baptism, you got baptized by the spirit at, at, at the moment of salvation, then you, you're in the one body because you trusted in the one Lord. And all of that is supposed to bring about unity. Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in, and, and, uh, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace, grace, grace. <laughs> According to the measure of the gift of Christ. All right now, how about exercising that grace? Now, I, I, I came from it when I first got saved. I came, I ended up in a church. I, I was a professional fighter in mixed martial arts, and my next training camp was in Long Island, New York, and I ended up in a, a church up there. Now, the, the man there, the, the pastor there, taught me a lot of incredible things. 
that laid a strong foundation for me and helped me to move forward. He also taught me some things I didn't know he taught me until it was too late and I'd already learned them. <laughs> and some of that is, you know, uh, uh, the, the Baptist bride and lordship salvation, some of these ideas that doctrinally do not fit. They're not correct. They're not true. But if men who believe those things are often very divisive, they can't get along with other churches and other pastors and other preachers and other Christians, because if you don't believe the way I believe, like the, the, the bride of Christ or the, 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 the Baptist bride, they literally believe that if you're not baptized by one of their pastors, you are not in the body of Christ. What a foolish idea. Jesus said, I will build my church. And now Jesus needs you to baptize me into his bride, into his body, into his church. You, you might want to be careful with that. You're, you're heading down a slippery slope that, that you're going to have to answer for when you stand before Jesus Christ. And then lordship salvation. Your, your works prove that you're saved, but your works don't prove that you're saved. And, and in order to be saved, you've got to clean up your life before you can trust in Jesus. And, and if he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. All these ridiculous sayings that they that they say, well, when you, the Bible says, the Bible says that, that in 1 John, you're going to need to be cleansed every now and then. You're going to have to come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness of your sins occasionally to be cleansed. Who was Lord when you committed those sins? So either Jesus is Lord of all, all the time, or not at all. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's what you came up with. That's not what the Bible came up with. Here's the reality of the word of God. Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't matter what you do with him. He's still Lord. Your, your, your willingness to follow the Lord or willingness not to follow the Lord doesn't change the fact that he is the Lord. It's true all the time, but you're going to stumble every now and then. And so your works, your works, first of all, didn't make you a sinner and so your works are not going to make you a Christian. You were born with a sinful nature, therefore you sin. The only way out of it is to trust in Jesus Christ. Your works on a daily basis might align with that, or some days they don't align with that. Some days it looks great. Some days you're like, am I even saved? <laughs> what in the world am I doing? Right? And so that, that back and forth has no bearing on whether you're saved or not. The question is, did you trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? If you did, your sins are forgiven, your soul is saved. Now you're going to struggle a little bit while you try and act like it. Well, that, they, they can't, men who believe in lordship salvation can't follow along with that, that idea, that mentality. They need you to say, Jesus is Lord of all, all the time, every time. And so, well, who was the Lord when you sinned yesterday? Well, based on their doctrine, nobody. You were Lord. So does that mean you're not saved? Are you saved? Yes or no? Well, yeah, of course I'm saved. Well, you, did you sin yesterday? The Bible says that, that even Christians still sin. You still make mistakes. When you make those mistakes, who's the Lord? So the idea is that your life should be so perfect and so clean that it demonstrates you're saved. And that's it's just not going to happen. You're going to make some foolish mistakes along the way and need to clean things up from time to time. 
The Lord, said, the Lord told the, the disciples, he got down and washed their feet. And Peter said, you're not washing my feet. And the Lord said, you don't know what I'm doing. There was something more to the physical act of washing his feet. He said, you don't, you don't have a clue what I'm doing. If you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Peter said, well, wash my hands, my elbows. <laughs> let's, let's just do the whole thing. And the Lord said, you, you, you don't know what I'm doing. You think I'm just getting down and washing your feet. I'm, I'm, that's not what I'm doing. I'm telling you, I'm illustrating to you, a time is going to come when you need to be cleaned up a little bit. And, and that's what the Lord is alluding to. And, and so, anyways, let me get off on all that. But the, the idea is unity. Uh, God said, if you have the same God, same Lord, same baptism, same body, then, you, then with everything else, with everything else, be long-suffering, be gracious, be merciful. If you find out you disagree on something, get over it. All right now, if it's, you know, like I said, the virgin birth or, you know, baptism, if baptism is salvation, well, then that's not going to work. We can't get over that. All right? But there, there are a number of other things that we can just agree to disagree and move on. And, and like good men often say, when we get to heaven, you'll find out I was right. <laughs> Until then, get over it. Don't divide the body of Christ on your personal opinions. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to sow discord among the brethren in the name of Jesus. That would not be a good thing to do. And so we, we want unity, unity in the word of God. And, and that's always our, our refuge. Come back to Romans 1. We'll, we'll wrap up here. Come back to Romans 1. Verses 13 through 15. Verse 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul desires to communicate to the people from whom he expects comfort. He, he wants to talk to them. He wants to know them. He wants this common faith to be a source of comfort. Well, you don't get comfort from ideas. Even if you do, it's temporary. It's fleeting. Uh, you get comfort from knowing the, the, the strength of someone's life, and you can, you can only know the strength of someone's life by spending time with them and seeing the consistency and seeing that they're doing right and they're doing well and they're moving in the right direction. If you just show up every now and then, how's it going? Good. You know, I, I, it's, there are certain people, like I, I am not good at conversation. And so if I'm not talking to somebody who, who is able to have a conversation, I struggle. And it's going to be real quiet. And so when I go to somebody, I'm like, how you doing? Good. was really hoping you'd give me some more to work with there. But uh, uh, what did you do yesterday? Nothing. All right. <laughs> this is not going to go well. This conversation is about to be, we're just going to be standing there together like, think about the weather. It's cold. All right, so, so you, you need to be involved in people's lives, find out what's going on, talk to them, spend time with them, and, and you're going to start finding out oftentimes what looks like a facade, the way they present themselves, there's something underneath it. 
And, and it might be good or it might be that they're struggling with some things. And if you don't know them, they may not be willing to let, let you on to those things and tell you what's going on. If you're not involved in their life or have some part in their life or some concern for their lives, they're not just going to start. Well, some people do. Some people you say, you know, how are you doing today? Well, my pancreas hurts. My knee hurts. My eye hurts. My, it's like, well, this conversation is going to end quickly for a different reason. <laughs> I didn't need a rap sheet of, <laughs> of medical issues. It's, um, but some people want you to know everything. But most people, they're, they're, they're going to put a layer between you and them until they know you. And they know what you want. And if they know that you're concerned about them, that you love them, that you care about them, they'll be a little more willing to open up to you and tell you what's going on in their lives from a genuine perspective. He desires to communicate with them. And this level of communication is essential. And we, we don't want to just assume people understand our intentions. They, they need to know. They need to be around you a little bit and find out, okay, this, this, I am very slow to get to know people. I keep people at a distance until I know that I can trust you around me, my family, my children. I, I'm, I'm not just going to let you in and toy with my, 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 my family and our lives until I know what your intentions are. And, and then after I get to know you a little bit and I, once we become friends, then I'm intensely loyal to my friends. But it's going to take a little while for me to peel back some of the layers and see who you are and what you're about and what's going on. And now as a pastor, that's a little difficult because you're kind of expected to be an open book to people and and be available to people. And so I have to balance that, but, but it's ultimately still going to be pretty much the same, though I might be a little more open than I normally would. And until people know what your intentions are, they're just not going to give you that level of understanding of who they are. And, and then you need to tell them plainly and lovingly what your intentions are. But don't just say it. You need to mean it. Right? So if you're saying A, but then they're seeing B, something's suspicious, something's not right. And they're going to say, yeah, let's just, let's back off this. We'll just, we'll say hi when we see you in the grocery store, but, but I'm not calling you over to my house and telling you what's going on in my family or, or anything of that sort. And then Paul wanted to get there, but was let hitherto. Now the word let is a very interesting word. And it, it's often taught that the word let used to mean to prevent, but that's not, that's not correct. That's not entirely right. If I, want to, if I want to use your car, you have to let me, correct? You have to give me permission to do so. And, and so it, it's, it's not that something is preventing me. It's something has not permitted me to be able to do whatever it is I would like to do. And it goes both ways because you'll say, if someone says, well, why didn't you use that car? So, well, they wouldn't let me. Why did you use that car? Well, they let me. <laughs> So the, the word goes both directions. It's an interesting word. But what he's saying is, I have not been permitted to get there. And there's evidence. We're not going to look at it today. But there's evidence in the Bible. It may have been the Lord himself who was preventing him. As Paul was trying to go different places. And God would come to him and say, no, I don't want you to go there. Like Jerusalem. <laughs> like Asia. Want to go to Asia? No. No, I don't want you to go to Asia. Okay, where do you want me to go? Well, they need help in Macedonia. Why don't you go there? And, and so God, God seems to have been preventing him from going, but then he just decided to go into straight open rebellion and, and go anyways. God said, don't go to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. And he went. And 
it turned out just the way God said it was going to turn out. And he ended up in Rome, in prison, and then put to death. And, and so he did get to, I, I presume he got to see some of these people and spend time with them. But, but he, he really wanted to be there. Something was hindering him, was preventing him from being able to do it. And, and it carries that interesting connotation. Now, Paul is driven by the reality of the debt, the debt he owed. He wanted to see Rome and to preach the gospel to anyone there who would listen. The Lord prevented him from going, it seems, but he was determined to go anyway after he went to Jerusalem. Now, even in Paul's rebellion, even, even in the, the, at the point in which the Holy Spirit said, Paul, don't go to, don't go to Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to go anyways, and when I go there, I'm going to preach the gospel to them. And then the Lord comes to him and says, well, you went to Jerusalem. I told you not to, but cheer up. You're going to go to Rome also. And when you get to Rome, you're going to testify. You're going to testify all the way up to Caesar. Now, you're not going to live. They're going to execute you. And the Lord's not going to stop it. As you chose to defy the Lord, you chose to get yourself in this mess. The Lord said, this is what will happen if you do that. And he did it anyways. So guess what happened? <laughs> exactly what the Lord said. But God still continued to use him along the way. And every step of the way, even when he got to this point when he was tired and broken and ready to just, it seemed to me that he's just ready to, he's ready to go be with the Lord. He said to the, the church, uh, um, I think it was Ephesus, whichever one it was, I don't recall. He said, it's better for me to stay here. It's better for you that I stay here rather than to go be with the Lord. But it seemed that a certain point came when he, his back had been laid open enough, he'd been beaten enough, he'd been thrown off enough cliffs, he had been imprisoned enough that he said, you know what, <laughs> I, I take that back, I'm going. <laughs> I'm, I'm over. And then they came to him and said, if you, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. He said, really? <laughs> When's the next train? I'm going. Uh, and, and so it just seemed like Paul was worn out, and rightfully so, and was ready to get it over with. And, and he did. But every step of the way, he preached the gospel. Every step of the way, his focus was the gospel. And even in this moment, this rare moment of rebellion for somebody like Paul, his focus was the gospel and teaching the Word of God. So he goes to Rome. And, and teaches them and spends time with them. Uh, when, you read the rest of the, when you read the rest of the information about Paul being on house arrest in Rome, people were allowed to come and go and, and see him and spend time with him while he was on house arrest. He had a lot of liberty, though he was imprisoned in, in a house there under guard. And, and uh, he had a lot of liberty, was able to spend a lot of time with people, wrote lots of letters from Rome, and they were spread all over the world. So... Comfort and unity. That was his desire. But the way he was going to accomplish that was through this. Through the word of God. I need to teach you some things about what God has to say so that we can maintain this faith and unity that we have. Without it, it's, there is no God in Israel and there, you know, every, every man does that which is right in his own eyes, and, and it just turns into a mess. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. 
You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.